Well, if you have your Bible, uh, open it up uh, to John chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be there. We're going to be in another spot, but primarily we're going to camp out in John chapter 4 this morning because we're going to talk about a subject that's a really important subject, and I think it's one that a lot of us get wrong, but it's, it's life-changing um, to, uh, to understand the importance of what we're going to look at today when you uh, recognize what it means to you and what it, what it means to me. Now, many years ago, uh, AT&T's upper management uh, had a meeting, and it was basically what you would call, it was a come-to-Jesus kind of a moment. And the reason is because uh, the uh, managers, the higher-up uh, higher uh, personnel, they really began to feel that they were losing their sense of identity. Uh, basically, they got together uh, because everyone within the organization was scattered. Everybody was kind of doing their own thing. And they really forgot what their purpose was. They had one question at that meeting. And that meeting was, what is our business? That was all it centered around. It was one question. What is our business? See, the leaders of one of the world's biggest companies felt that they had gotten away from their basic business. What is your business? Now, I got to thinking on that, and that led me to think, what is our basic business as a Christian? Now, if you were to get asked, what do you think is the number one thing that you should be doing or living out, whatever, as a Christian, I know we would get a lot of answers. And I know that they would all be good, but there is one area about you and about me that is uh, number one. Your number one business as a believer. The number one business so to speak, individually, that you will conduct, that you need to exemplify, that you need to live out, I mean like really live out, is on this area that we call worship. That's number one, worship. Now I know that what comes to your mind and what comes to my mind when we think of worship, most of us would get it wrong. The, the, what, the, what the, what the life-changing purpose of what you and I are supposed to have, we, we would identify worship as something totally different. Worship is not what just takes place on Sunday mornings. It is much more. It is a whole lot more. Your number one purpose in life, since God made you and you're here, is to worship Him. That is your number one uh, purpose. And so today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have us get into two different passages of Scripture. We're going to mostly camp out at one. And just to get a, a, a general idea and a specific idea of what it means when we look at this term that we call worship. 
Now, in Revelation chapter 5, you can turn to it if you want, or you can just listen. We're going to be in John chapter 4. But I want you to take a look at what uh, the Bible has to say about one aspect. It's just one. There's a lot of different things we're going to look at, but one aspect of worship. And this is the one most people think when they think of the term or the idea of worship. This is what they think. It's much more than what we're going to see. But in Revelation uh, chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, now I, I don't have time to break down a lot of what uh, some of the interpretations or understandings of what some of the things I'm going to say to you, what it means. Uh, that's another uh, message for another day. But you're going to get the gist of, of what, what this thing is when we think of worship. And John, uh, Revelation chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 6, John wrote this. He said, And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb, that's Jesus, standing as if he were slain, having sent, uh, seven horns and seven eyes. That's all symbolism. The seven eyes are uh, the uh, is the holy uh, uh, is the Holy Spirit. The seven horns is that uh, which represents strength and power. But it says the Lamb standing before the throne uh, of God sent out into all the earth. Verse seven, and he came and he took it out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne which was the book. Uh, and he took it from the hand of the throne, of the one who sits on the throne, and it says, And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, they fell down before the Lamb, having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou wast slain, and thou didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God, and they will reign forever and ever. And then it goes on and it says, And I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads, and thousands of thousands sang with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, and riches, and glory, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing, and every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory, dominion forever and ever. And then it says, And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and they worshipped. Now, when we think of worship, we kind of think of stuff like that. This is something yet to happen. There is a lot of worship that's going on in heaven, but there's much, much more than just worship. But it's also seen as worship. This is just one display of worship. It's singing. It's, uh, it's just drawing attention to the one 
whom is worthy to receive our praise, the one who died on our behalf, as John said in there at the beginning, because he was slain in order to bring forth men and women from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. That's what happened at the cross. And so Jesus is being worshipped. And this is a picture when we think of worship. But it's much more. When we get to heaven, we're going to worship the Lord. But we're going to do other things. You're going to have a job. Some of you can't wait to retire right now. Well, one day you're going to have a job, but this job you're not going to want to retire. It's going to be very rewarding. You're going to get to hang out with everyone. You're going to have a title. You're going to have a purpose. We're not just on clouds streaming harps. In fact, that doesn't even happen. That's at Hallmark. But the biblical definitions and job descriptions for all believers are so many and varied. And yet one of the things we will do, we'll worship the Lord. But we're going to do other things. And those other things are also seen, is also seen and recognized as worship. Because it's your lifestyle. It's the, it's the purpose of what you were created and I was created to be about to do, all of us. When we look at worship, there's two aspects of worship that worship is made up of more than anything else. I think I put it in your bulletin. The two manifestations of worship has to do with your attitude and it has to do with your actions. Those two elements, those two things right there, makes up how you do your thing when we look at worship. Your attitude and your actions says everything about how you carry out your worship, what you do for the Lord. And here's what I mean. You were created to know God. You were created to experience God. And you were created to worship God. Now, someone might say, well, I don't believe in God, and I don't believe I was created. I believe I was born. Well, I believe you were born because you were created. And that one who gave you the life, because you're the one that came from your mom, it wasn't anyone else, and it could have been hundreds of thousands of anyone else, but you won the lottery of life and you were the one that, were, that was born. You were born because God wanted you born and you have a purpose. And that purpose is to know Him in a crazy, insane, confused, always moving around world that we live in. God made you and he wants you to know him. I mean, he really wants you to know him. And by knowing him, you will not be able to help but worship him. Because of just how awesome he is. You were created. <clears throat> you were created with intelligence, skills, feelings, and emotions. We all have that. 
And if you do not spend these on your highest sense on God, then you're going to spend all of these on yourself. Learning to worship God will keep you from being a man-centered type of individual, a very self-centered type of, of person. Everyone worships something. But not everyone worships God. And you know what's really sad? There's a lot of Christians who don't worship God. Most would never, ever willingly admit it. But the focus of too many Christians today centers around themselves. And it's not on the Lord. Their actions and their attitudes speak for the type of people that they are. Um, but God has a different plan. Now, the focus of your attention should not be on yourself, but it should be on the one who made you and made me. Uh, you're going to like this quote. You're going to see it on the screen. Archbishop William Temple had this to say about worship. When we think of worship, this is what he said, and it's, it's, there's a lot to it. He said... To worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, and that's by reading the Word, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of God. Now, there's a lot to chew on right there, isn't there? To worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God. To worship is to feed the mind with the truth of God. To worship is to purge the imagination by the beauty of God. To open the heart to the love of God. Now, it is important to remember that the object of your worship is crucial if you lose sight of what the main object is concerning your worship everything else will fall apart now the object of worship for the believer isn't necessarily an object it's a person and that person is the one who opened the book that we just read in revelation chapter 5 and he alone is the only one who was worthy to open the book and break open its seals. And the moment that the seals that kept the, the book sh uh, shut. And when that happened, the Bible says there was just an instantaneous reaction of all the heavenly hosts up there just hitting the ground, hitting the cloud, whatever it is we're going to be on. And they just worship Jesus. Why? Because they know they are there because of what he did down here. Now, that's, that, is, that is powerful. Jesus is the object of our worship. He is the person that we, that we celebrate. This goes back to that quote that you see behind me up on the screen. See, the object of our worship is it always going to be man-made, or God made. Now, God didn't make Jesus because Jesus is God and Jesus has always been here. But if we're not into Jesus, we're going to be into ourselves. And the worship is going to be on us rather than the one that we gather here today. 
Jesus had an encounter with a woman at the well, and it's in John chapter 4. And in that chapter, it is such an awesome chapter. In this chapter, we see Jesus not only addressing what worship means, but he does it in a way that no one in this room could have done it. Because he did it with a lady whose focus was not on really what she was talking about, which she mentioned worship, but she missed it. She misidentified everything. What she thought was, well, this is the way you do things, came to find out, I missed it 100%. And that's why I think so many of us, we miss what it really means to worship. And she has this talk with Jesus at this well. And you know what we find? We see this play-by-play narrative take place. It's like when you're watching football, and there's a really, really big play that was made. So it has to be reviewed by the officials. They take a commercial timeout. They're looking at it. You're waiting for all those dumb commercials to hurry up and pass so you can get back to find out what the call is going to be. And you're going to see a frame-by-frame replay because they want to get it right. It's so important. The game is at an all-time moment, and the, the direction of the game can be changed by the call that's about to be made. And what we see with Jesus' interaction with this woman at the well is the exact same thing. It's a frame-by-frame look that we get to see what Jesus was doing with someone who clearly was missing everything. And we see how Jesus dealt with her. It's just, it's awesome. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful scene that we see Jesus And this Samaritan woman, now that's important. If you just need the quick Bible background, Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. They would call Samaritans in our language today, they were half-breeds. So Jews hated them. Discrimination, hardcore. A Jew would never speak to a Samaritan. Worse, A Jew would never speak to a Samaritan woman because of the low value that they placed on women in that day. Lots of discrimination. And you see one of the most powerful stories of God giving us truth on this subject regarding worship by what? Talking to a Samaritan lady. I love that. Because we don't read about what the meaning of worship is when he talks to Nicodemus or one of the leaders or a person of really strong prominence or of notoriety. We don't read any of that. We don't gain the insight and the wisdom from a discussion and an interaction taking place with one of these people. It's with a Samaritan lady, the woman at the well. Now, I'm just going to read part of what took place. If you haven't heard the story, you're going to love this story. The the disciples and Jesus, they had been moving along. They had been walking. They had been going place to place to place and place. It's hot. 
It's a lot like it is outside right now, and they're walking. They find this well. Jesus is leading them, and they go to this well, and Jesus tells the disciples to go into town and get supplies. And he was going to stay back. And he's at the well. And as he is there, this happens. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, now remember, Jews wouldn't talk to his Samaritans, especially women. But Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink? I'm a Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and he said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now just stop right there. This is fun. I mean, I love this part. This is that scene in a movie on TV. Right when he gets to this part, they go to a stupid commercial and you just slap your pillow because you want it to hurry up and get back to live action. Jesus says to her, if you knew who it was that just asked you for this drink of water, it'd blow your mind. Who was Jesus? Jesus is God, the creator of the universe, was standing at a well, and this lady asked him, or he asked the lady for a drink of water. She replies with sarcasm, you talking to me? Have you not noticed I dress differently? I'm a woman. Did you not see my address? I'm from the place where your people hate us. And we hate you? Are you talking to me? And Jesus responds, Oh, if you only knew who was asking you for a drink of water. I mean, think about it. All the years that went on by after this encounter was over and done with, how many times was she sitting in her house going, Did I really say that to him? Did I really? Were those my words did i how many of you have ever sat back and thought of something you've done that's so ridiculous that you thought did i really just say that a lot of you gals this is a perfect time to raise up your husband's hands i saw it take place jesus says to her listen if you knew who it was that was asking you for a drink of water he said this, he said, you would have asked him for that drink. And just by asking him for that drink, he would have given you living water. She then says to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. In other words, you have no bucket. She says, where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob. Now, that's the one she's going to think on for years to come. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe I said that. 
you're not greater than our father Jacob, um, are you? And then she said, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. She's literally saying, you don't recognize where you're at. This is a famous spot. This is the very place where so-and-so-and-so-and-so stood and got water. Then Jesus answered and he said to her, verse 13, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never ever thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman then said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw it. And he said to her, Well, go. Go and call your husband and come back. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. And boy, that's, this is when it gets so good right here. See, what has taken place, we'll just stop right there for, for a, a moment. What has taken place at this time, Jesus led the woman to a realization that before we can learn what it means to worship, because we're fixing to get into that, we must first learn what it means to have our sins forgiven. Before we can get to the good stuff, we need to deal with where we are in our present moment, and that's our sin. See, only those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ can worship and know God. That's it. If there is no Jesus, there is no connection. If there is no Jesus in a person's life, there's no relationship. It's about Jesus. Any other type of worship is vain. It's for nothing. It serves no purpose whatsoever. And it may make the individual feel that he or she is connecting with the Lord in the way that they worship, but if they don't have a personal relationship with Christ, they're not worshiping God. That's because people who do not have that relationship are not known by God. They may have a mental picture, but that's all they have. Sadly, uh, this is the majority of the entire world that we live in today. Uh, it is... Uh, the, the verse that you'll see up on the screen is what comes to my mind, my mind every time I see people who are trying to find every other angle to get to heaven other than the way the Bible says. And it's like it says in 2 Timothy 3, 7, they are always learning, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And the truth is Jesus. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the what? The truth is and the life, and the life. It is only, only, only when one commits their life to Jesus Christ 
that they will have that thirst quenched once and for all. Now, Jesus needed her to recognize her spiritual condition and what it takes to have real peace and a genuine relationship with God. He tells her salvation is of the Jews. And what does he mean by that? What this means is he is saying to her, what was written in the law? Remember, the Old Testament is known as the law and the prophets. What Jesus is saying, what was written in the Old Testament, the law, is true. Because it led and it pointed and it made way for the coming of the Messiah. The birth of the Messiah. And so what he is telling her, there is a plan. And that plan is the salvation is of the Jews, meaning it's coming through the direction of the Jews to arrive at the place of where it is right now. So he says salvation is of the Jews. See, Jesus wanted to point out to her her reason for being thirsty, but Jesus is on a spiritual realm of talking. She's on a physical realm of talking, and that's why it's same planet, different worlds. They're comp- she, she's just missing every single thing that, that he, where he is trying to lead her. And when he gets right to the crucial moment, the aha moment for her to get, he says, you know what? Go home, get your husband, bring him back, and I'm going to tell you how you can find this living water. And she says, well, I have no husband. He touched on a sore spot. Why? Because we get to read the reason why she had been married five times before and now she's working on number six so instead of saying to jesus well here's my situation well i don't have a husband i'm presently i'm i'm divorced but um i found someone uh i mean i I seem to have this habit of picking really i guess got really bad luck um I've been married uh, five times, but it's really, I'm just, I'm a mess. But Jesus wants her to try to understand first is, hey, before we can talk about this really big thing, which is the biggest thing, because it's the reason why you were created, this thing we call worship, Jesus first wants her to recognize, listen, all this isn't even going to make any sense if you don't recognize first who you are before I can talk to you about the person who wants to hear from you, and that's God, because you're in sin. And your sin will always hinder and cut your ability to find God, most of all to worship God. Just like people today, the moment they're confronted with their sin, they do what she did. They deflect. Go home and call your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. But unknown to her, the person standing before her is not just a man, not just any man. It's the Lord. Before Jesus can extend the pardon and salvation, he he must see an admission and acknowledgement of guilt from the person he's talking to. 
It kind of reminds you of the verse in Psalms when David said, If I inquire iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Sin damages so much. Sin can cut off your relationship, your fellowship, your fellowship with God so much. And with this lady right here, she didn't have the fellowship because she didn't have a relationship. She was looking, but she was looking in all of the wrong reasons. Um, she made the comment when she said, well, this well, Jacob, I'm sure you've heard of him, you're a Jew, he used to drink from this well right here. So she thought, hey, we're on track, we're going somewhere. This is what we're hanging our head on, and because we own this now, look at us. And what Jesus was saying to her was, it doesn't matter who owns this. It doesn't matter what you drive. It doesn't matter if you're a Baptist. It doesn't matter that you're a really good person. It doesn't matter you go to church every single Sunday when the doors are open. It doesn't matter if you go for the big dunk and you get baptized. It doesn't matter. If you're going to hang your purpose on what you are doing in order to please God and get to heaven, you're going to find out when it's all over with that you're not only not going, but you've missed it. It doesn't matter. This stuff is important. And for growth, it's critically important. But it's not the way you get there by what you do. And Jesus is trying to dismantle her way of thinking. And the Lord was the most perfect gentleman, too, at this, at this time. He, he was possessed with impeccable manners. He wanted only to expose the sore. He did not want to poke, and he did not want to pry into all of the details of her life. Did he know that she was already married before? Of course he did, because... He calls it out. But he didn't go there. He didn't bring, uh, he, he wasn't there to condemn her. It is at this point when she begins to recognize that Jesus was a little bit more than who he said. Go to verse 18. Oh, we'll go to verse 17. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. Verse 18, for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you are, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. Yeah, this you have truly said. In my mind, I have no question that when Jesus said this to her, he had a smile. Uh, I you almost got me. You're right, you're not married. But you've been married five times, but now you're living boyfriend that you now have is not your husband. Yeah, you have truly said you have no husband. And it's when he did that, in verse 19, it says, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I want you to begin to see the changing that has taken place through this discussion that Jesus is having with her before he gets to what it really means to worship. Did you notice at the very beginning, I think it's in verse 9, she called him a Jew. In verse 11, she refers to him as sir. And now in verse 19, 
she calls him a prophet. You see the kind of the, the changing uh, that, that's taken place, the narrative. If the woman at the well thought she could divert the Lord into a discussion of just details, she was mistaken. Because the Lord ignored her tactics and he confronted her instead with a notable truth. She had had five husbands, was working on number six, and he tied that thought of her sinful life to her perception of what it means to know God and spoke truth to her heart. Did you see what he did? He said, he takes her comments, and he said, uh, her comments were, our fathers worshipped, and he took that and he turned it into the father. The father. He lifted her thoughts above any type of earthly shrine. See, temples made with hands have no relevance in the new age that is going to come. And it is at this moment that Jesus reveals what worship is, the type of worship that God desires. I think in your bulletin, I have three points broken down. If you want to know what worship is defined, it's three different things. In verse 21, we read that uh, worship is defined. It's a word about the future. Jesus told her, but I'm telling you, verse uh, 21, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. Worship is about the future. What did he say in verse 22? He said, worship is a word about faith. He said this, you worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know, for salvation is from the Jews. It's not only about future things. It's not only about faith. But then in verses 23 through 24, he showed that worship is a word about faith the father he's getting to the object of their worship of what needs to be her worship he says but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the father in spirit and truth for such people the father seeks to be his worshipers god is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit, and in truth. See, true worship, Jesus said, has to be in the spirit. Now, Judaism, and that's where the lady is coming from, Judaism was largely a worship of the letter, not of the spirit. What do I mean by that? It was concerned with rites and rituals, forms and ceremonies, sacrifices and offerings, feast days and fast days, circumcisions and Sabbaths. All of that was to be set aside in favor of a spiritual form of worship. Real worship, Jesus says, is in truth. And we see the Lord lifting her thoughts to a living, loving Father, one who yearned the worship of anyone, whether it be a Jew, Samaritan, or us, Gentiles who would worship him in spirit and truth. What was needed for her was a regeneration of the Spirit of God 
so that she could worship in spirit and a full revelation of the Son of God so that she could worship in truth. So in other words, before she could learn what it really means to worship, she must first have a conversion experience herself by accepting Christ as Lord and Savior. And the same thing goes today. You know, I said earlier that worship has to do with our attitudes and our actions. When the Samaritan woman's attitude concerning Jesus started to change, her whole life changed. Did you notice right after in verse 24, it says in verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ, and when that one comes, he's going to declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He did that two times. Two times in the New Testament. This is one of those times. Oh, you want to know who God is? You're looking right at him. See, he hid his divinity when he was on earth. And we know why. Read uh, Philippians chapter 3 and you understand why. But he hid it. But he disclosed it two different times. One time it was to a blind guy who had nothing. And the other time was when he was sitting at a well, super hot, physically very thirsty, talking to someone that the Jews just despised. And he let loose who he really was. Oh, I know that Messiah's going to come. And when he comes, we're going to pay attention then. We're going to listen up. And Jesus just tapped her on the shoulder and said, I who speak to you, I'm the one. I'm he. You're looking at him. And when he said that, she went off. And we know in the rest of this chapter, the disciples came up. You know what their first thoughts were? Why are you speaking to that woman? What, do you not know who you're talking to? She goes back to her town. I can promise you she didn't walk. She got back as quick as she could. She found her boyfriend and she found every single person around that would listen. And she said, I found someone who said all things about me. I don't know this person. Could this one be the prophet? So they all ran out, the whole city, and they went to the well, and Jesus is still there because Jesus knew what was about to happen. And the Bible says that they began to talk with him, and they begged him to stay with them for two more days, and he did. And it says many of them became believers in Christ during those two days. No question that woman at the well did too. No question. Can you imagine what did they talk about? We don't know. It's not in the book. What did they talk about for those two days? I who speak to you am he. So on that point, they get to talk to him knowing this is not just a man. What do you say if you have uninterrupted time and you're with God for two days? Don't you wish something would have been put in here? It would have been so awesome. But we don't know. 
but they got to talk to him. Sunday morning, y'all, is to be a reflection of all of the rest of the week and the way that you worship. Why are you here today? Christians who live self-centered type of lives all week, they don't pray, life is very hectic, they're self-dependent, they're just exhausted, they stagger into church without the foggiest idea of why they're here or what they're supposed to do. They may be dressed up, temporarily composed, but they don't know why they're here. See, they don't understand their function when they come in these doors. All they can do is try to get something out of the service. Literally speaking, in essence, what they say, they say, okay, preacher, you've got from 1045 till noon, so fill her up. And what they fail to recognize is that the church is not like a gas station where Jesus comes and gives the car a full service. The church is not a pit stop. The church is not a menu that you go to at a restaurant and you pick the things you like off the menu, the things you don't, you don't pick, and then you turn it in. And if, you're, if the, uh, the restaurant is, is uh, lucky enough, you'll leave a tip as you're walking out and then you forget about what you just did. That is not the church. The church is the place where Christians gather to lift up the Lord and the Savior. Amen? Amen. We seek to exalt Him all week long together, but we come together one time during the week to make a, a unified effort of a hallelujah to the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. See, one's attitude directly affects one's actions and this thing that we call worship. It's about your attitude. And your attitude will be seen by how you, I hate using that word perform, but it's the way you act. It's your actions. What we need to do this morning, we need to rewire our thinking in regards to worship. So this week, when we leave here in a few minutes, when this week plays itself out, what are you going to do with your worship? How are you going to get your worship on? It's through your attitudes and your actions. It's by remembering your purpose for being here on earth. It's in the object of your faith. See, we don't come here to worship the steeple on top of the building. It's not the building. It's the person that it represents. The real life person, the name of Jesus Christ. And remember this. If your love for him if your love for christ is not growing then your love for self is and you remember that if your love and your walking with jesus is not growing i'm not talking about playing church i'm not talking about what you used to do at church i'm not talking about what you're doing in church right now all this doing, throw that stuff out. If your walk with the Lord is not growing, if your love for Him is not growing, then the love for yourself will be. And that's where you don't want to find yourself. 
So what I want you to do, I want you to internalize everything taking place at the church and just worship him. A.W. Tozer, the famous preacher, um, said, we're to be worshipers first and workers second. We take a convert and we immediately make a worker out of him. Isn't that true? God never meant it to be so. God meant that a convert should learn to be a worshiper and after that, to be a worker. This week, I want you to remember what it really means to worship the Lord. Because there's going to come a day, we're going to be in heaven, like what we saw in Revelation chapter 5, and it's going to be a huge praise Jesus moment. And down here on earth, you get to worship him by the way you're going to conduct yourself this week, how you're going to treat others, the words that you're going to say, the encouragement. Everything about you is an act of worship because worship for a Christian should be a lifestyle. Your attitudes affect your actions. And just like when Jesus told that woman at the well, you're putting all your faith in this well, I'm going to give you something that you'll never thirst again because Jesus is talking about the spiritual aspect of people. And y'all, this week, we need to remember the spiritual aspect of all of our friends, all of our workers, all of our friends in school, and what we say and do matters because they're thirsty, but they don't know how to ask the right questions just like this woman didn't. And be ready for when they deflect if you get kind of personal. That's going to happen. Human nature will do that. But they're going to be drawn to Jesus based upon... Um, your lifestyle, the, the lifestyle of your worship. Let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you this morning. God, we want to thank you for your word and that we can read your word and gather this, this incredible interaction that took place between you and this lady at the well. God, we don't know her name, but you do. And she played such a pivotal role in you rolling out for our understanding what it means to worship God. To worship God is to worship Him in spirit and in truth. God, we don't buy in the truth. We buy in the lies and garbage all the time. Because, Lord, that's what we're around. Father, you have told us that those who worship you must worship you in spirit and truth. So, Father, I pray today that for those in this room, maybe they've not been living for you. God, they can start all over again by just acknowledging where they are and then by going forward in the direction where you are taking them. I just ask, God, you'll just bring their hearts alive with the desire of wanting to know you again, maybe for some in this room in a brand new way. Lord, if there's someone in this room and they don't even know who you are, they have never confessed to you their need. I pray, God, that you would encourage them to grab a friend, talk to them, come down here. They can talk to any of the ministers that are down here at the front. But, Lord, that they get that resolved immediately. Father, we just want to thank you that we have an opportunity to come here today and to be reminded about what it means to have a lifestyle of worship. 
And I pray, God, that our attitudes and our actions this week will demonstrate the truth about who we say we believe in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.